Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bueri, and as always, I'm with fourth-generation Angelino, Dr. Lucy Jones. Thanks to all the new sponsors who have stepped up to support this podcast, You Can Too, which also provides support for Dr. Jones's nonprofit, Center for Science and Society. Please go to patreon.com and be a sponsor too. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. So now let's get to it. Today, we're talking about air and smoke and pollution and climate change and what you can do about it. California in the mid 20th century became synonymous with bad air in the US. From backyard incinerators to unregulated automobiles by the thousands, this was the place where you could see the air. And Lucy, you were in the thick of it, so to say, and your parents before you. Yes, I grew up here in Los Angeles in the middle of some of the the worst pollution. And my mom would even joke regularly, don't trust air you can't see. Because we saw the air pretty much all the time. Being able to actually see Mount Wilson when we were ever on the west side, that was a really, really rare occurrence only on the clearest days in the middle of winter. And, you know, we believed it had always been that way. We hear stories that the indigenous people called it the Valley of Smoke because of all the the fires. When they built a fire, the smoke stayed here. And it became our excuse. New York could produce the same amount of pollution and it would just blow out to sea. But here it was trapped on us and we had to live with it. I think even today in the 21st century, Air quality is a disaster for millions across the U.S. and the world. Even though we don't see it, as you described, the particles in the air directly impact our health. So the view at the time was push bad air out of cities and it won't affect the people being choked by it. Right. And, you know, there were even plans that, like, how could we dig tunnels through the mountains and put up big exhaust fans and blow it out? Seriously, that was something actually discussed. But we realized that couldn't happen. We had to deal with it in a way that other cities didn't. And we did, you know, AQMD was created. We put in regulations. When I was a very young child, we got rid of backyard incinerators and that made a significant difference. When I was in school, we had smog days. We had days we didn't go to school because the smog was so bad. It was unhealthy for children to be out. By removing the incinerators, controlling some industries, and especially the first controls on cars that came in in the early 1970s really made a difference. And we got rid of a lot of the smog. For younger people here, I don't think it's quite so obvious. Even, you know, go to my young adulthood when I first moved to Pasadena, you didn't see Mount Wilson most summer days. And it's only like two miles away. So through this, we got rid of the worst stuff. We got rid of the orange air and the stuff that was putting kids in hospitals on a regular basis. But air quality is a disaster for millions across the U.S. and the world still today. Even though we don't see it, the particles in the air directly impact our health. This is still a concern. We haven't, as a community, solved it for everyone. This is still particularly bad to those living near freeways or highways, trucking routes, ports and airports, and heavy industry. And those communities are usually lower income communities of color. For them, it's a daily disaster that seems invisible to the wider community. Air quality is now a social justice issue and it's still a scientific issue. Disasters are all social justice issues. Just about everything we do, there's better and worse ways of doing it. 
The reality is we are all of us, especially here in Southern California, much better off with regards to air pollution. But than, we were, than we were back in the 50s. Than we were in the 50s or the 60s or the 70s. You know, the last stage three smog alert was back in the 70s. And we, you know, the stage one alerts have become extremely rare now. So so we're we're better off, but what's left is uh, really concentrated towards those who are poor. And just like many other problems, if we've solved it for the people in power, the last fraction of improvement that only helps the poor often doesn't get done. And now, when the state of California and places across the Western U.S. are on fire, we are all reminded what it's like to live with bad air. All of a sudden, people are like reminded, oh, wait, air quality matters. And, and it's, you know, for us older ones, it's like you, you breathe in, your lung hurts, you go, oh, I remember that feeling. We used to have it all the time. Now that it's back, we're going, oh, wait a minute, this isn't good. But think about why it's here. We, we didn't put the holes in the mountain and blow the pollution away. We got rid of a large percentage of it, but we didn't get rid of all of it. And when you burn whole forests, it's coming back. And there's a fundamental issue about how we've treated it, which is to think of the atmosphere of the whole earth as our filtering system. That instead of stopping this completely, we need to think about how to blow it out of here. And somehow when it's dissipated around the earth, that's going to take care of it. And, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, there were only a couple of billion, three billion people in the world. And now there's seven and a half billion people in the world. So right there, we've more than halved our capacity to do filtering. And the more people we get, the more we run out of that. And with this many of us, we just can't treat the world as our garbage can or filtering system. So there's too many people? This is, a, is this a population control issue? Yeah, it's too many people as part of it. But there's another one that we're now starting to recognize. When we went to deal with the air pollution problems in Southern California, we looked at the, the air we could see and said, we got to get rid of this. But there's another part of combustion engines, and that is producing carbon dioxide. And we thought that was benign. You know, carbon dioxide's natural. We breathe it out, animals breathe it out, the trees breathe it in. That's not something that you had to get rid of. That was something that was natural. But now, when there's so many of us and so much industrialization, we are producing so much carbon dioxide that those natural systems can't get rid of it. And besides, we've gotten rid of a lot of those forests and trees that were the ones who absorbed it. And so population is also reducing the amount of plant life that can compensate for what we're doing. What you're just raising without saying it is that air pollution and the changing climate are linked. They're not the same, but they're linked. And I right. think we can take a page from the 20th century air pollution fight to apply to our current one, which will in turn begin to address our climate crisis as well, right? Right. We can take inspiration from the air pollution fight to recognize that it can be done. We went from a city where you never saw the mountains to a time now that without the big fires, you always see the mountains. Very big fundamental changes. And we need to take the same approach here. You know, back in the 60s, we didn't like the idea 
that we'd have to give up our cars. You know, that was the definition of the California lifestyle. We built all these freeways, don't give up our cars. And it felt like controlling the air pollution required that. Instead, we found technical solutions. We modified our cars. Yeah, we got rid of the backyard incinerators, but we didn't really need them. And, and we found a way to do it. And I think that that's the important thing to remember now. If it really matters, we can find an approach that do it. You know, a, a new solar energy plant is already cheaper than a new coal burning power plant. I think one of the reasons people don't want to deal with climate change is it feels like we have to make that choice. We have to give up modern life. We have to give up our cars and our computers and our air conditioning to reduce our energy usage. And that, you know, that's often the messaging about climate change. Are you being wasteful? We need to have conservation. And, and we've got to change our mindset. Instead of seeing this as a choice between modern life and climate change, let's find the way to do modern life that does not produce carbon. We can find that technical solution. And that requires changing an even more fundamental mindset. And that's the idea that the world, the atmosphere and the natural world is this great big filtering system that can handle what we throw at it. You know, back when there were a few hundred million people on the world, mostly that worked. There are too many of us to do this. And we need to see the Earth as, a, as an island home. We need to think about it as though it was a space station that needs sustainable approaches to all of our lives, the manufacturing, the energy, heating and cooling, all of it. And we can do that. There are different technical ways. We can't do it without changes, but we can do it. So what you're saying is when we see or smell smoke, we should know that air pollution is a disaster for many people all the time, even when fires aren't burning. And we should think of climate change being affected by what we smell and the carbon dioxide that we don't smell. And everyone can do their part. I mean, I'm hearing that from you, that we, we need both an institutional change and, a, and an individual change. And I think a great resource for individuals here in California is the fact that we celebrate California Clean Air Day every October as a way to focus our attention on what we can do as individuals to clean the air. You can go to cleanairday.org and get resources and tips and be a part of this statewide day of action. And there's simple things that everyone can do. That's right. Individual actions matter. And they matter a lot because it's added up over all those people who do it. But individuals also need to work together to institute the social changes that we need. Because some of the, you know, the biggest stuff uh, really does require a societal action. And we can do it just like we did it back in the 60s and 70s to get to air that we can't see. Well, we could go on forever, so we'll have to do this again. And so until next time, I'm John Puery with Dr. Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a supporter at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones.